Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into, well, special topics, because Thursday evening is Special Topic Thursday, an evening that is devoted to your questions, an evening that is tailored to your questions and responding to what is on your heart. Now, I took some time aside today to write down some of the questions that you have been asking me that I have already responded to. I know a number of you have been asking me questions that have already been answered, and so I send you to my archives. But the more I thought about it, I did think it was necessary to just go over some of the questions that uh, I have answered, just so that you know more holistically what is in my archives. So before we get into today's question, a question that I love, (laughs) I did want to go over some of the questions you have already asked me. So here goes. Now, where you're going to find these questions is on my website, right? If you go to joeholcraft.org, if you just hit the shows link, you'll go to my archives and go to the archive titled, the box titled, Special Topics. There you will find the programs that I'm now going to list. And it starts on January 26th of this year. I treated some special topics before January 26th, so you will see programs that are there before January 26th, but it was on January 26th where I started this new special topic Thursday that is devoted to your questions, specifically your questions. So with that, January 26th, responding to the hard saying, oh woman, what have you to do with me? Next week, responding to the hard saying, particular to the saints and Mary, there is one mediator between God and men, that is Jesus Christ, and also that hard saying, call no man your father. Responding to the question, are you saved? There I also reflected more holistically, more globally on salvation. Responding to the criticism that Darwin and the sciences have disproven Genesis. Responding to the question, what are the biblical passages that support the Catholic teaching on purgatory? Responding to the question, who am I to judge? Responding to the question, what is the church teaching on end times? Responding to the question, what are the biblical foundations to the Catholic teaching on the Pope? Responding to the, the questions, and here there were, there were two topics, what is a church father and what are the biblical foundations to the sacrament of confirmation? Continuing, through the lenses of Passover, responding to the question, what are the biblical foundations to the teaching on the Eucharist? Responding to the question, how do we know Jesus really rose from the dead? Responding to the question, what are the biblical sources to the sacrament of confession, and why do we need to confess our sins to a priest? Responding to the question, why do we need to pray, and I'm a good person, why do I need religion? That's one of my favorite questions, by the way. I'm a good person, why do I need religion? Because it really gets to the heart of it. Next, responding to the question, how do I deal with my despair and anguish, and do you have any suggestions for 
intercessory prayer, responding to the question, how could Mary lose her son? That was another fun topic there. We looked at the finding of Jesus in the temple. Responding to the question, how do you prepare and deliver a talk? I think Debbie Rizals was with me that evening, and we had a good time with that one as well. Responding to the question, what do the Old Testament figures, if anything, teach us about the spiritual life? Responding to the question, where does the word Catholic come from, and what are its biblical foundations, if any? That's June 29th. Responding to the question, does the Bible contradict itself? Another great question. July 13th, responding to the hard saying, and this one was with Father Mike Ritter, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's a question I get a lot, huh? Responding to the question, why go on a pilgrimage? And I believe Chris Seibert was with me there as he just came back from his pilgrimage. Responding to the question, what are the biblical foundations to the assumption? And we also took a look at the Immaculate Conception. Responding to the question, why do we suffer? So there you have it, a list of all of the questions I have responded to. And if you have missed any of those programs, please go back into my archives and listen to those programs. Or maybe you're a new listener and you want the answers to all of those questions. <laughs> go to my archives, go to joeholcraft.org, J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T. Hit the show's link button there and uh, you will be on your way. You can begin to appreciate here that when you talk about these special topics and topics that are tailored to your questions, is just not those classic Catholic apologetic questions, and for that matter, those more classic Christian apologetic questions, right? The existence of God, the resurrection, salvation, but also spiritual questions. Questions that have us thinking about that deepest truth. The deepest hunger of the human heart isn't knowledge, but purpose. We want to come to discover why God created us. Knowledge helps, but knowledge is at the service of purpose, which, brothers and sisters, leads us to our question this evening. What is the goal of our striving? Joe, what is the goal of our striving? And I love this question because it not only is a question that I have been talking about a lot with my online teaching that I do, but also it really is a question like so many of these other spiritual questions, questions about a relationship with God that really do cut to the chase, right? <laughs> because in the end, everything we talk about should be at the service of what we talk about tonight. What is the goal of our striving? And the very simple answer to that question is our union with Christ our union with Christ, and ultimately the consequential outgrowth of that union, the glory of God, right? Now, how are we to talk about this union with Christ? First and foremost, our union with Christ is bodily in the Eucharist, yet more than any kind of bodily union we might experience here on earth. Our union with Christ is also fraternal, but greater than any kind of union we might experience in a friendship here on earth. It could certainly be said as it relates to our Christian and Catholic faith, while such unions can offer a taste of blissfulness, they are only a shadow of the kind of union we are to have with Christ. The kind of union that He makes possible. 
Brothers and sisters, spiritual union with Christ involves even a greater going out from oneself in both the reception of it and the giving it away. It constantly has us going deeper. It is mystical and it is also ordered to grace. That is to say, it is mystical in that it entails our entering into our Lord's Paschal mystery and in the order of grace, because of course it is first a gift given to us from God. Again, Jesus is the protagonist of our union, of this union. He makes it possible. So what we're talking about here is Jesus as the initiator. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. So not just another way like that of Buddha, but the way. Not just another teacher of truth, but the truth. And not one who just gives life, but my dear friends, the life. So it is. The goal of our striving is Christ-centered. A fancy theological word that is thrown about is Christocentric. All that simply means is Christ-centered. And by that we mean Jesus standing at the center of everything, huh? Not one teacher among many, but the one around which everything else revolves. You see, my friends, we don't allow Christ to be positioned by something outside of him. Rather, Jesus positions us with him at the center. So once we enter into this reality that Christ is at the center of our spiritual life, everything else clusters around it. And it does so beautifully. It is like the rose budding, where you have these beautiful petals cluster together around its center. This is what the spiritual life is about. And again, this, I think, speaks to, by way of image, how we might think of the goal of our striving, our union with Christ. Now, I just spoke to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and so let's explore that a little more. Jesus is the way. Indeed, he is this kind of two-way street. In him, God comes to meet us holding nothing back, offering everything that he has and everything that he is. Through him and him alone, we have access to God, right? We have access to God to such a point that we can now call him Abba, Father. As in the sacrament of baptism, we are incorporated into God sacramentally, which is the very infusion of God's life within us. How about Jesus as not, again, a truth, but the truth? Not just some truth, but the entire truth. He is God's definitive and perfect word, expressing who God is and what he's like. What does Jesus say? You see me, you see the Father. So as Jesus is God's definitive and perfect word, expressing who God is and, and what he's like, in so doing, he gives us the revelation to help us discover who we are and what we need to do to be saved from misery and futility. Now, there is a favorite reflection of mine that comes to us from the writings of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. It was in his second volume of Jesus of Nazareth, where he was reflecting into Holy Week, and he takes up the question of truth. And I just want to read from Benedict XVI and, and listen to him closely. And I love this especially because 
he speaks to us who live in the United States, as he draws from someone I think popular in the United States, Francis Collins. He says this, Modern man is tempted to say, creation has become intelligible to us through science. Indeed, this is Benedict. Listen to what he says. Francis Collins, for example, who led the Human Genome Project, says with joyful astonishment, the language of God was revealed. That's from page 122 from his work, The Language of God. Benedict continues, Indeed, in the magnificent mathematics of creation, which today we can read in the Human Genetic Code, we recognize the language of God. So there Benedict affirms that science reveals a particular language of God. Why? Because what have I said in the past? Creation, my friends, is but God's first love letter to man. So certainly it's going to reveal something that properly belongs to the love of God. But as Benedict says, unfortunately, it does not reveal the whole language. The functional truth about man has been discovered, but the truth about man himself, who he is, where he comes from, what he should do, what is right, what is wrong. This, unfortunately, cannot be read in the same way. Hand in hand with growing knowledge of functional truth, there seems to be an increasing blindness towards truth itself, toward the question of our real identity and purpose. He continues, What is truth? In political argument and in discussion of the foundations of law, it is generally experienced as disturbing. Yet, if man lives without truth, life passes him by. Ultimately, he surrenders the field to whoever is the stronger. Redemption in the fullest sense can only consist in the truth becoming recognizable. And it becomes recognizable when God becomes recognizable. He becomes recognizable in Jesus Christ. And here's the real pearl, my friends. In Christ, God entered the world and set up the criterion of truth in the midst of history. Truth is outwardly powerless in the world, just as Christ is powerless by the world's standards. He is no legions. He is crucified. Yet in his very powerlessness, he is powerful. Only thus again and again does truth become power. So my friends, we live and share in Christ's truth. The more we enter into, what did I say about how it's mystical? The more we enter into the Paschal mystery. And even more specifically, as Benedict would speak to it here, the more we enter into the mystery of the poverty of the cross, the more we empty ourselves so the love that pours out from God the Father would fill up now what's empty. Far too often, we don't make enough room for God. But we have to learn from Christ crucified and tear ourselves open for the love of God. Now, how about this last piece here? Jesus is the life, huh? the life. You see, my friends, Jesus gives us not only commandments and noble ideals, but also the power to live them out, the power to become a new people. That power is the Lord and giver of life himself, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus pours out on those who accept him. In order, perfection, and power. As he orders our life, he perfects what is in us, 
and in and through him, he rules over our life. Incidentally, my friends, the Latin word for Lord translates as what? But one who dominates us, not in some tyrannical way, but in a loving and life-giving way. What does St. Paul say? It is no longer I living, but God living within me. So as we talk about the goal of our striving being this union with Christ, what is one of those palpable images that Jesus gives us to contemplate but the vine and the branch? Jesus tells his followers that he is the true vine, the real vine, and that they, we are the branches whose task is to bear fruit by sharing in his life. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you. If you abide in me and my words are in you, ask whatever you want, he says, as he reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's really fascinating to think about it. While the images of Christ as King and Lord, teacher and shepherd, judge, all have their own importance in forming our perspective on how Christ relates to us, these images really do need to be balanced by such images as the vine, because these images integrate the disciple into the life of Christ and Christ into the life of the disciple in an intimate unity, in an intimate closeness that really the other images might not always convey. Jesus is the vine, and we are summoned to abide, to live, to make our home in him, right, in him. Now, there is something else going on here. As soon as Jesus introduced the theme of the vine and the branches in the gospel passage that we are speaking to here, he speaks of his father as the vine dresser and him wielding his pruning knife. You see, my friends, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, the father removes, cuts away. And every branch that does bear fruit, the father prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Again, my friends, the life to which the gospel invites us is a life with Christ at the center. As we follow Jesus and come to know him personally, we find him calling us to submit to the pruning knife. Like all things that bear fruit, there must be a cutting back. Yes, pruning is always a painful process. It is a form of loss or death. But be assured, the vine dresser is never more intimately involved than when he is wielding his pruning knife. So the call to abide in the vine is ultimately a call to a personal and intimate knowledge of Jesus himself. Not an idea or ideology, but a living person. True disciples of Jesus are dependent on this inner presence and activity of Christ for their renewal and for their regeneration of their own life into one of faith and love. My dear friends, true disciples can only be effective in the regeneration of their lives if they are grafted onto the life of Christ, allowing his very presence to pulsate through our minds and hearts. And here, my dear friends, we should speak to the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the actual presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. 
This is what we receive when we consume the Eucharist. And here, once again, I'm drawn to that analogy that I've used before. If you've heard it before, bear with me. It's something I was reflecting with in my book. I pose the question, have you ever wondered what makes the pink flamingo pink? The pink flamingo has a very selective diet, which consists of organisms that are high in pigments called carotenoids. The flamingo eats such a high concentration of these pigments that it actually turns their exterior a shade of beautiful pink. And certainly by many accounts, this transformation is a wonder of creation. So just as the pink flamingo is selective in its dietary intake of certain kinds of organisms, which is everyone marveling at its pronounced shade of beauty, so should we be selective in our spiritual diet, receiving the life-giving organism of the Eucharist that we, like the flamingo, and certainly even more we could say, would possess a new shade of light that attracts and draws others around us into a more personal encounter with the incarnation of beauty, Jesus Christ himself. Amen to that. We should add that while it is us who consumes Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, it is at the same time Christ who is consuming us and also making us more into his image. So it is that we offer back to him everything that he has offered us because of the greatness of his love, the greatness of his gift. To tease us out a little further, you know, the word consumption ought to have us thinking about those last words on the cross. It is finished. You've heard me speak to this before. Consumatum est. When you translate that in Latin, what do you get? But it is consummated. So as we talk about us consuming Christ in the Eucharist and Christ consuming us, this really is a consumption. Because when Jesus says, it is consummated. What he wants us to understand is that, indeed, salvation is on the cross, and this is a salvation that we are to literally consume. What did Jesus say in the upper room? What did he command the disciples to do when he was instituting the Eucharist? Do this in remembrance of me. You know, Jesus never said, by the way, write this. He never said that. He said, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the apostles, the first Christians, were simply doing what he told them to do. And in so doing, we consume salvation. And as we do so, we can now better work out our salvation, as Philippians 2 verse 12 says, in fear and trembling. In fear and trembling. In the end, my friends, when the life of Christ has invaded our souls. If we let him, he will use our lips to spread his truth. If we let him, he will use our lives to show the way. If we let him, he will use our hearts to give others life. More hungry will be fed. More sick will be healed. More books will be written. The good news will be preached not just in Galilee, but all over the world, not just in person, but touching millions at a time radio, TV, the internet. Many of you listeners out there are familiar with Archbishop Fulton Sheen, the great Archbishop Fulton Sheen, a man who captivated millions via the radio 
and TV. He was really a pioneer in how we think about the new evangelization today as he was using the then modern means of mass media to reach millions of souls. And he was able to do so because Jesus had first invaded his soul. Our work is Jesus's work. What does St. Thomas Aquinas say? Our acts of love are simply God crowning his own gifts. Huh? I love that. That's beautiful. So as we talk about the goal of our striving as this union with Christ, we do so mindful of what we set off the top, that there is a consequential outgrowth of that union, and that is giving glory to God. Because in the end, that is our primordial vocation, to give glory to God, to love as God loves, to love as God loves. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to just reflect into the richness of not only your word, but also the revelation of truth. And certainly, above all else, as we were reflecting into it this evening, the revelation of your Son, that by contemplating the face of your Son, we contemplate the greatness of you. Give us the grace that we might fulfill the plan that you have entrusted to us, and that we might hear those words, come and have your reward, your faithful servant. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.